You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet. That is my name. Don't wear it out. You won't probably because it's long and somewhat ungainly. But nevertheless, this is episode 492, 1,000 more, and we will do a special Columbus Day uh, feature. (laughs) Just 1,000 to go. Subscribe now and... uh, Don't just come back in a thousand episodes, if you will, but today is November 1st, 2022, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about questioning the conventional narrative to the end of reforming America. I've got 10 points that I want to hit. Uh, First of all, to start us off, yesterday was Reformation Day, 2022, and As such, it just so happened that a certain Virginia Rogers from church uh, was horrified. Uh, It was also Halloween, I guess, kind of, sort of. Uh, What day is Halloween, anyways? Is it the 31st? Yes, it is. Sure enough. Halloween is also October 31st. If you can't tell, we don't really pay much attention to Halloween. In fact, I had entirely forgotten that yesterday was when trick-or-treaters would uh, show up on our porch with the light off and knock anyways in the hopes that we would come out and give them candy we didn't have. We just really don't make a fuss about it. Uh, that's honestly what it is. I'm not one who hates Halloween. My my wife hates Halloween in no uncertain terms. I know other people who just hate Halloween I really am ambivalent. I just don't care all that much. There are certain holidays which I love when they come around. Christmas is one of them. I don't want to skip Christmas. I love the smells. I love the sights. I love the sounds of Christmas. It is the happiest time of the year as far as I'm concerned. Thanksgiving is a close second, followed by Easter... And then probably the 4th of July. Those four holidays I recognize and enjoy. And Halloween is just whatever. But yesterday being Reformation Day, as many Reformed, uh, especially, but not just Reformed, also Lutherans, for sure, uh, celebrate every year. Virginia Rogers was taking some of our boys two Spanish and then picking them up. We do kind of a carpooling, ride-sharing thing with a couple other families that take the same Spanish class, homeschool families that take the same Spanish class that our boys do. And as such, Virginia, who we also go to church with and her family, we also go to church with them, of course, she was mentioning something about Reformation Day to my boys. And my boys had no idea what Reformation Day is because we just don't we, we don't make a special note about it. Now we might talk about the Protestant Reformation now and again, but it, we don't celebrate it on a particular day. Now as to the Protestant Reformation, as to church history, most of 
my talking about it is on this podcast. And so when my kids listen to this podcast, they might pick up on things. That's the big idea. But I'm not trying to take a special day out of the year and do a whole lot to remember uh, Martin Luther or John Calvin or <laughs> Ulrich Zwingli or John Knox. You know, I'm just not, I'm just not doing that. And part of the reason is that I didn't grow up doing that. My wife didn't grow up doing that. We might have done some trick-or-treating or put on some costumes or bought some candy for Halloween some years growing up, but there were also other years where we just didn't do anything for Halloween at all. We might have gotten a pumpkin now and then, but we just didn't do anything for Halloween most of the time. Well, so also we didn't do anything for Reformation Day. And at least my perception, and I know this isn't everybody's, but at least mine is that I've seen more and more about Reformation Day the more I've gotten involved with folks who are Reformed. And maybe they've been celebrating Reformation Day all along, and I just didn't know about it because I didn't grow up knowing a lot of Reformed folk. And I've known more of them and better uh, the older I've gotten. That could be. But at least my perception is, as I have seen more talk of Reformation Day, the older I've gotten, that it's become more popular to recognize Reformation Day for uh, Protestants as time has gone on, and that we're more and more leaning into Reformation Day, the more pagan, the more godless uh, Halloween gets, and and the more pagan and godless society gets, generally speaking. The two go hand in hand. But Virginia, God bless her, she explained to our kids what Reformation is and why we should celebrate it. My oldest son is especially was confused, like, well, why would you celebrate that with a day? I don't understand why. And I I think she didn't quite understand maybe what his objection was, or maybe I don't fully understand what his objection was. Our emphasis is more on uh, we just don't, we don't celebrate particular days for the most part. There's a, there's a few, there's four maybe, and then we've got plenty of birthdays in this household that are scattered throughout the year, but we just don't take a a whole day out of the year to celebrate things like that. Now, if my kids found out that it was National Donut Day, I'm sure they would ask, hey, can we all get donuts? If they found out it was, you know, International Ice Cream Day, they would ask, hey, can we all get ice cream? But then they ask that anyways. And so it's just an excuse, I guess you could say. With Reformation Day 2022, Uh, I'll touch briefly on what it is. If you're not familiar either, uh, according to Wikipedia, Reformation Day is a Protestant Christian religious holiday celebrated on 31st October alongside All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, during the Triduum of All Hallowtide in remembrance of the onset of the Reformation. According to Philip Melanchthon, 31st October 1517 was the day German Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, electorate of Saxony in the Holy Roman Empire. Historians and other experts on the subject argue that Luther may have chosen 
All Hallows' Eve on purpose to get the attention of common people, although that has never been proven. Available data suggests that 31st October was the day when Luther sent his work to Albert of Brandenburg, the Archbishop of Mainz. This has been verified. (laughs) Short sentence. (laughs) I was expecting it to be longer. This has been verified. I was expecting, actually, this is contested. This is uh, something on which scholars now disagree and debate. Did he really? That's usually how those sentences read. This has been verified. This is anticlimactic. Just, yep, that checks out. Moving on. (laughs) Nowadays, it is regarded as the start of the Reformation alongside the unconfirmed. Melanchthon appears to be the only source for that. Nailing of the 95 Thesis grievances to All Saints Church door on the same date. So there you go. It is a big deal for Lutherans and Calvinists in particular, who uh, are very dedicated still to the principles of the Reformation, of the Protestant Reformation. And now my uh, four older boys in particular understand better uh, that question, thanks to Virginia Rogers. But another interesting thing with regards to the topic is, as uh, Virginia was trying to explain and answer the question of why would you celebrate Reformation Day, she made some mention of being with the saints, right? Being with the saints, wanting to be together with the saints to remember the kickstart of the Protestant Reformation, for which we are very thankful. And my oldest son said, please don't ever call me a saint. And that, you know, if she was floored before that my older boys weren't familiar with Reformation Day, she was especially floored, I think, when my son said, oh, please don't ever call me a saint again. And she's like, oh, Josiah, like, what are you, <laughs> what are you saying? And for his part, he was associating this talk of saints, I think, with the Catholic Church. That is that we say some people are saints and, you know, they are a rare breed and there's a kind of cult of personality around them and there's some hero worship that goes on. And of course, that is actually uh, you know, accurate that the Roman Catholic Church has that tendency and talks about saints in that way. Saint this, saint that, you know, praying to saints it's a it's a problem in the Catholic Church that that is a feature, and that is actually part of what the Protestant Reformation was pushing back on. You know, the veneration of relics and veneration of saints and selling of indulgences and making of pilgrimages to see certain holy relics and then have uh, absolution of certain sins thereby, doing penance as opposed to repentance and a turning away from sin. But I think it was a good conversation. I think it was, you know, except for the bit where Virginia is horrified and probably thinks, oh my goodness, Garrett and Lauren, what are you doing that you you haven't told your kids about Reformation Day and you haven't told them that they're saints? Uh, She did let Lauren and I know, thankfully. And she's like, "Ah, you know, if I were in your shoes, I would want to know that somebody just had this conversation with my kids. Of course, we were appreciative of that and and are appreciative of that. But 
you know, I think it was beneficial that our sons were able to come home and talk about that with us. And Josiah, for his part, he was trying to get some intro to lit uh, homework finished up, but he did a quick search for the word saints in the KJV and then cross-referenced that with how is it translated in the ESV and what is a saint? You know, and she made the very important point that it's all throughout the Bible that we are, we are as Christians, saints. Uh, the, the two are synonymous. To call us saints is the same as to call us Christians. If we are Christians, then we are saints, so on and so forth. And uh, so it was good. I think it was a learning opportunity for him. But then also, too, on a more fun note, maybe, our neighbor, two houses down, J.P. Chavez, posted a pic to Facebook in celebration of uh, a special way that his wife, Monica, surprised him on Reformation Day. Uh, And that is, if you will, instead of a 95 thesis being nailed to the church door, she bought him 95 Reese's and taped them to one of the doors inside their house. So he took a picture of the door covered in uh, Reese's candies taped here and there. And uh, I was talking back and forth with him. He sent me something over Signal uh, about Christian nationalism, some article that I still need to read against Christian nationalism, supposedly. It's this awful, horrible, no good, rotten thing, which we will talk about how wrong that is, uh, no doubt, soon. But in return, given that it was Reformation Day and Lauren and I had just been talking with our boys once they got back from Spanish uh, concerning what Reformation Day is and should we mark it? Should we celebrate it? Should we make more to do about it as we're ignoring trick-or-treaters knocking on our door? And I came across this piece from 2017, November 28th, 2017, on a website called redbrickparsonage.wordpress.com. And this post in particular is titled Luther Visualized 19 in Decline, Luther's Decline in Old Age. And there's a lot of screenshots of pamphlets and booklets and uh, more to the point, uh, woodblock illustrations that were printed in mass, illustrations of, let's say, various figures in the church, especially the Pope, and mythological creatures and monstrosities and demons and animals, uh, hybrid animal-human creatures, demons, uh, tormenting representatives of Rome, defenders of Rome, who, in Luther's view, were guilty of promoting a false gospel and a false religion and a false church. They represented a false church. Uh, lots of very colorful scenes. And by that, I don't mean actually colorful. They're all basically uh, sepia tone and black ink, but colorful in the sense that, for instance, there's one titled, Here the Kissing of the Pope's Feet is Taunted. The Pope is holding his ban excommunication, which is emanating rays, in order to avoid having the ban fall upon them, these two peasants have been summoned to kiss the Pope's feet in repentance. Instead, they curse his ban. 
maledetta is Italian for damned or accursed thing, turn around to leave Moonhem. In his poem, Luther calls this showing the Pope the Belvedere, Italian for beautiful sight, and pass gas at him as they go. So uh, just to give you a quick <laughs> idea, quick summary, uh, that is something that Luther was known for. Uh, it was tracts and pamphlets like this that I, I guess you could say get a certain point across. But then there's a, another one. This is the last one I'll tell you about. I'll throw a link in so you can check this fuller list out for yourself. But this next one is the Pope is worshipped as an earthly god. And it reads on a podium or altar decorated with the papal keys, which, however, are mere skeleton keys, showing that they have no power because the Pope does not use them according to Christ's institution, sits an inverted papal tiara or crown. A peasant is defecating into it while another one gets ready to do so. Luther's poem for this woodcut reads, The Pope has done to Christ's kingdom as they are treating his crown here. Pay her back double, says the Spirit in Revelation 18.6. Go ahead and fill it up. A play on his own translation of Revelation 18.7. It is God who says so. To paraphrase, uh, after all the crap the Pope has fallen, Babylon has given you true Christians, put twice as much crap in his crown for him to wear. So not very nice, right? This is not a nice way to uh, carry on a debate or uh, the public discourse. But uh, certainly it does communicate some rather extreme sentiments, uh, an extreme distaste and contempt, if you will, but in other news, speaking of election, we'll just move right on from Luther in particular and uh, his legacy. Uh, although, before we move on to the next thing, I will say there was a really excellent video that Virginia, probably still fresh off of the discussion with my boys, posted to uh, our church center page for Summit View Community Church in recognition of Reformation Day. Hey guys, here's a link to a YouTube video from Ligonier Ministries. It's a documentary on the life of Martin Luther. I ended up watching that last night with some of our youngest kids, Enoch, Andrew, John, Evelyn, the four youngest ones, kind of, you know, kind of coming and going so that I guess in 10 years, um, they will not be horrifying Virginia Rogers when she's carpooling them back and forth to Spanish. <laughs> they will know maybe better what Reformation Day is and uh, what Reformation is more generally. But it was a really excellent really excellent documentary. Really well done, really well put together, uh, very interesting, well shot, very even-handed. Because to a man, uh, there's not a single Christian who respects and appreciates what Luther did and the impact he had with the 95 Thesis and launching the Protestant Reformation, who doesn't also admit to his faults. And actually, contemporaneously to him, there's a, a very interesting quote of John Calvin that's in this Ligonier documentary, in which Calvin says that even if Luther were to call him a spawn of Satan, Calvin would regard Luther as being a powerful and mighty servant of God, accomplishing a great deal of good. And he compliments him for his intelligence, for his command of the scriptures and of theology and of doctrine, his ability to communicate that and articulate that powerfully 
and forcefully, and yet he should have studied more, Calvin says. He should have studied more to learn how to control his temper and his extreme emotions because it undoes some of the good that he otherwise would accomplish or has accomplished that he has such a bad temper, that he is so lacking in self-discipline when he is angry. He intentionally tries to write and preach angry to make it a much more passionate and authoritative uh, delivery. And that's not so good. That is not ideal for the Lord's servant to be acting that way. It's not exemplary. There are things that are exemplary about Martin Luther. That is not one of them. And so that's part of what I think is a reason for pause for me in terms of making overmuch. I do want to talk about, I want to be familiar with uh, the characters of the Reformation, but it's part of the reason why I'm reluctant to put them on too much of a pedestal, lest we do the same thing as Protestants that the Catholics were doing with regards to the veneration of saints. It's important for us to know the stories from church history, in my view, to glean important, useful lessons. But part of the Semper Reformanda, always reforming, uh, ideal, to my way of thinking, is that we not just do what the church at Rome was doing in a Protestant way, right? Change up some of the aesthetics, uh, you know, cite different dates and different figures, but end up with the same attitude, the same mindset. How would that profit us? It just, it wouldn't. So that's not to say, that's not to say I've struck the right balance in how much I've explained to my kids about the Reformation and such things, but it is to say, um, I hope to, right? I hope to, I think we should try to. But speaking of election and the saints and politics and (laughs) reformation, the Epoch Times has an interesting story out this morning. Midterm elections updates from the Epoch Times staff. Pittsburgh newspaper endorses Oz, questions Fetterman's transparency and experience. Apparently, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette which did endorse uh, Donald Trump and his re-election in 2020, has also endorsed Dr. Oz. Mehmet Oz is running for Senate as a Republican. I'm not hot on all of the things that he supposedly has been for in the past. I don't trust his kind of Republican candidacy. But then the flip side is, you know what? There are other figures like Trump like Elon Musk, who I think in recent years have become much more conservative as they have seen the rotten fruit of leftism and liberalism, so-called. They have seen that that tree is not producing good fruit in our midst. And if you want a great resource, I would highly recommend in this regard, check out Liberty, Equality, Fraternity, a refutation of liberalism by Groen van Prinster, 19th century Dutch politician, churchman, philosopher, theologian. Groen van Prinster, uh, very adjacent to Abraham Kuyper and Herman Bavink, if you're familiar with those two. Van Prinster is called by many the Dutch Burke. He was very Burkean, very conservative in his theology and his politics. 
But this book in particular, it's not very long, it's five chapters, is the first translation into English from the Dutch. And it's available from Refcon Press, that is actually the publishing arm of the Reformed Conservative, which I am uh, admittedly, full disclosure, a member of the board of directors for. But you should definitely check out this book. I am a third of the way through right now and making good progress. But he talks about the promises, the false promises of the French Revolution, namely, liberté, égalité, fraternité, and how these deceived the Dutch. The Dutch were very prosperous already. They were very free already. They had equality under the law already. They had a brotherhood, uh, you know, as citizens in common of the Netherlands prior to falling for the false promises of the French. The kind of freedom that the French wanted for the Dutch was the freedom to do whatever was in the best interest of France. The kind of equality was actually a twofold equality, as von Prinster makes clear. One set of uh, equals among the ruling class and another set of equals for those who are governed. You are free to do whatever we tell you to do, whatever we permit you to do, whatever we give you permission to do. You are equal, as in you will all be equally poor, or you will all be equally at our mercy. Oh, a brotherhood. Yes, well, you'll be a brotherhood (laughs) uh, in the sense that you have this to commiserate about, that you've lost your empire. How's that? How's that for a brotherhood? A brotherhood of misery. A brotherhood in which you'll be reminded of Cain and Abel, actually, as there's a treacherous way of dealing with siblings that becomes much more du jour in this godless French revolutionary spirit. Definitely do check out Gron van Prinster because what he catalogs, what he lays out in terms of the experience of the Dutch as they fell for the French revolutionary spirit, fell into the orbit of France. What he spells out, what he explains has also been our experience here in the U.S. insofar as we've embraced the ideals of the French Revolution. It's also been the experience of far too many peoples around the world in the past 200 plus years. And we do well to learn these lessons and to learn them thoroughly and to repent and to reform ourselves, to reform our families and our communities and our churches and our institutions accordingly. It's high time we called it on this very wrong-headed way of orienting ourselves or organizing society or governing ourselves. It's high time. Enough. And insofar as Mehmet Oz maybe has not had the best uh, track record, it's possible he's had a change of heart. It's possible that he's had his eyes opened in seeing the way that woke uh, crusading has wreaked havoc here in the U.S., seeing how the COVID pandemic was related to, seeing the damage done to the economy and to culture and to academia and to the schools and to the media 
it's possible he's had a change of heart. And in any event, he's at least a better shot than John Fetterman, who is a mentally incompetent ogre of a leftist. Yeah, that's a bad combination. You know, be one of those things, and I don't want to vote for you. Be all three, and we certainly cannot afford to vote for you. But in other news, speaking of the kinds of awful, horrible, rotten fruit that the liberal tree has borne in the U.S., there's a piece from Daniel Payne over at Not the Bee titled, Powerful Testimony, My Breasts Were Beautiful, Now They've Been Incinerated for Nothing. And highlighted here is testimony from a Chloe Cole, formerly transgender-identified young woman, who has turned into a harsh critic of gender ideology. She speaks to the Florida Board of Medicine in Orlando that met three days ago. And I want you to take a listen to her testimony because this is very important. It's important that we not just get suckered in to embracing and affirming this transgender movement. There's real damage that's being done. And I want you to hear what Chloe Cole has to say about her experience and what it's done to her. At 13, I started taking puberty blockers and testosterone. And at 15, I underwent a double mastectomy in which my breasts were removed and my nipples were grafted. And yet at 16, after years of medically transitioning, I came to realize I severely regretted my transition. It has been over a year since my last testosterone injection. During my diagnosis for dysphoria and the consultations for these treatments, the overall picture of my life just went completely unaddressed. From a young age, I was actually quite a very feminine girl, although I did somewhat model myself after my older brothers. Up until my transition, I had relatively normal levels of teen distress, but my early exposure to social media and the internet led to my, my body image worsening. I was introduced to inappropriate content and an echo chamber of far-left ideology, such as that sex and gender are separate, women are inherently victims, men are inherently superior in every way, and that dysphoric children need hormones and surgeries in order to live. These reductive ideologies have crept their way into science and, by extension, medicine. I unknowingly gave my mind and eventually my body to an anti-science movement that reduces womanhood to long hair, Barbie dolls, dresses, and false self-perception. I actually developed more psychiatric issues the further I went into transition. I was on the verge of suicide for nearly all of high school. Some things went undiagnosed for years until after I stopped transitioning, like autism and body dysmorphia. All the talk about mental health, self-perception, pronouns, and ideology leads me to the, to the question, why is a mental health epidemic not being addressed with mental health treatment get at the root causes for why female adolescents like me want to reject their bodies? I was not suicidal before going on hormones, and yet doctors asked my parents the question, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? This is not how medical professionals are supposed to talk. This is how activists talk. What was the cost of treating mental health with barbaric surgeries? I have bandages on my chest today, over two years post-op because my nipples leak fluid and they stain my clothes. I have no breasts. I want to be a mother someday, and yet I can never naturally feed my children, my future children. My breasts were beautiful, and now they have been incinerated for nothing. Thank you, modern medicine. Sad. <clears throat> sad. This is really sad stuff and tragic and alarming. And this is another reason to get your kids out of public schools. Don't wait and see if 
the school board will come around, your teachers will come around, the administration of the school will come around, don't wait and see what the election holds. Get your kids out and either put them in a private school that is committed to not teaching them to have gender dysphoria and to celebrate it and to get surgery and take hormone therapy and all the rest and change their pronouns, uh, either send your kids to a private school or homeschool them. Do that. And if you want to keep on trying to reform the public education system, by all means. But at a certain point, it's like with the Protestant Reformation. Luther was set on reforming the Roman Catholic Church. He wasn't set from the beginning on leaving it. And yet when the church at Rome refused to repent, refused to be reasoned with, and met his calls for reformation with hostility and aggression and anger and threats and obstinacy, he left. And it was good that he left. It was good that so many others left the church at Rome because they couldn't stay on the terms that Rome was insisting And as such, we should look at the necessity of your responsibility to those under your care, whether we're talking church or we're talking state, whether we're talking the Protestant Reformation or whether we're talking about American public education. In both cases and many more besides, if you have people under your watch and your care who are potentially being destroyed or will certainly be destroyed. And you can get them out of there by leading the way, by making a hard decision. Sometimes that's what you've got to do. If you can't reform the system and you can't stay in it in good conscience, well then you must leave. If you can leave with a good conscience, even if you're not sure quite how that's going to work out or what it's going to look like, that's what you've got to do. Thankfully, in this case, Florida's medical board, Board of Medicine, voted Friday to start drafting a rule that would bar all minors in the state from receiving puberty blockers, hormone therapy, or surgeries as treatment for gender dysphoria. This should be nationwide. This is a no-brainer. It's not enough in and of itself, but this is a good starting point to say, we're not going to put kids through this. They are in no position to be making these kinds of decisions. They're being manipulated and bullied into it, and it needs to stop. But in other news, speaking of public health and the media and reformation, the Atlantic has proposed something they're calling pandemic amnesty, where we're all going to just let bygones be bygones, bury the hatchet, and uh, move on, regardless how people were acting, relating, treating one another, what they were proposing, what they were doing to one another through the past two to three years. The piece here by Emily Oster, it's filed under ideas, is titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty, subtitle, We Need to Forgive One Another for What We Did and Said When We Were in the Dark About COVID. And this is highlighted by Harris Rigby over at Not the Bee. Do note, and I won't read this whole thing, I'm just giving it to you as a bullet point. Do note, all through the COVID pandemic, 
people like me, increasingly, people like me, as time went on, were trying to question the narrative, trying to point out that the evidence wasn't adding up to the official narrative, that this was, let's say, some bat soup in a wet market in China where it originated, but that this was potentially a lab leak, uh, a bio lab in Wuhan, China, that it was not as dangerous or as deadly as was being claimed. This was not the Spanish flu all over again. It wasn't the Black Death all over again. That masks did more harm than good in many ways, as far as creating social distance, psychological distance at a time here in the U.S., especially where there was a lot of political strife coming off of Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots here in the U.S. There was a lot of lawlessness. People like me were pointing out this is going to destroy and is destroying people economically, psychologically, socially, mentally, emotionally. This has all of the markings of a setup. And let's hold the phone, not so fast, on shutting down businesses, deciding which businesses are allowed to stay open and which aren't. Small businesses, bad. Big corporations that give money to the deep state, that <laughs> fund our bureaucracies, that fund Democrat politicians, good, keep them open. Churches, bad. Walmart, good. People like me who were trying to raise important questions, point out important details, evidence that was being ignored, pushed off to the side. We were met with pure, unadulterated hate and abuse. Some of us lost our jobs. Some of us were dressed down publicly or in front of our peers or in front of the public. We were told that we should just die. People wished that we would just die because we didn't want to wear a mask. We didn't want to social distance. We didn't want to just stay in our home indefinitely. We wanted to go to church. We wanted to get together for weddings and births and funerals. Still, a reckoning is needed for what happened there. A reckoning is needed. And when I say a reckoning, I don't mean let's go and punish everybody who was awful through COVID. Forgiveness is needed, but forgiveness cannot be a blank check for those who behaved very corruptly and did and said evil things over the past two or three years, who oppressed others, who defrauded others, who destroyed others, who used this as an opportunity to get rid of rivals, to do real harm. Tunnel vision is no excuse for those who were ambitious, for selfish gain, for political gain, for financial gain, or who were just flat malicious. And this was their chance to get rid of people, to destroy people they never really liked anyways. Again, what's needed here is reformation. Don't go thinking forgiveness means we have to leave all the people who showed their true colors over the past two or three years in the positions that they landed in, musical chairs-wise, through the, through the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, maybe we didn't know what their true colors were. Through the pandemic, we saw what they were made of. And if some of them have held on to their positions or expanded their power because they were tyrants, 
they should not be forgiven in the sense that, oh, we'll just let you hold on to your ill-gotten gains. They shouldn't be forgiven in the sense of, oh, let's just forget that all happened. And now if we have another crisis, you're going to behave the same way or worse because you're smarter this time. You learned some things. If your attitude is the same, if you haven't apologized for what you did, if you haven't restored people that you damaged, well, then we can forgive you as far as a debt spiritually, but that doesn't mean you need to keep having the power that you do over us. In fact, we would be fools to continue being dependent on people who showed themselves to be ruthless, capricious, flighty, and unresponsive towards legitimate objections, concerns, complaints, warnings. People like me called it early and we were hated for it. And I'm not saying we should be rewarded, but I am saying those who hated us, if they're forgiven, that doesn't mean we should be putting ourselves at their mercy moving forward. But moving on, speaking of COVID, a bombshell report, Paul Saka writes for The Blaze, suggests COVID-19 escaped from Wuhan Institute of Virology earlier than it suspected. CCP's Xi may have tried to cover up the world-changing lab leak. I think that's pretty well established. I think that's been suspected since very, very early on. But ProPublica, in partnership with Vanity Fair, published this bombshell report on Friday based on five months of investigation, analyzing more than 500 documents obtained from the Wuhan Institute of Virology's website. The documents include communications between officials at the Wuhan lab and top leaders within the Chinese Communist Party dating back to 2017. And I'll throw a link in for the episode description here. You can check it out. Long and short of it, we have major media outlets like Vanity Fair and ProPublica willing to talk now openly about the Chinese Communist Party's involvement in COVID. And not just that they released it, but then they were dishonest about the origins of it. If they knew what this was from the get-go and they knew they were responsible for it and they said nothing or they lied, they covered it up, they refused to cooperate in trying to get to the bottom of this and what to do about it, well, one of two things, either A, speaking of forgiveness and tyranny and opportunists and selfishness and destroying others and damaging others, either A, we need to be all that much more against China ruling the world. If this is how they, if this is how they have done us dirty, if this is their level of incompetence and dishonesty and negligence and uncaring, they shouldn't be running the world. If they did this and it was a bioweapon that they released in conjunction with Democrats here in the US, globalists around the world, to go after political rivals like Donald Trump, to remove them from power as they try to consolidate in the run-up to a great reset or whatever, then a reckoning is needed. We need to decouple entirely from China economically because a storm is brewing. If this is a bioweapon, well, then we've been in World War III for over two years now. Not 
because Russia invaded Ukraine, not because China's been threatening to invade Taiwan, but because they unleashed COVID on the world. And that's an act of war. If this was intentional, if it was deliberate, if the Democrats here in the U.S., folks like Dr. Fauci, were in on the plan, that makes them traitors. That's treason. And you can forgive them and you can pray for their immortal soul and there still needs to be a reckoning if this was intentional, deliberate, not accidental. If it was accidental, they need to be fired and they need to pay damages and make whole those they damaged. If they're really repentant, they can't just say peace, peace when there is no peace. No, no, bear fruit in keeping with repentance if you're actually sorry. Don't just tell the people you destroyed and damaged and disenfranchised for two years plus, they need to forget about it and move on. No, no. You need to be fired. You need to be fined if this was just pure negligence and dishonesty in covering it up. You fled the scene of the accident. That puts you at a different level of culpability than if you had stayed around because I'm, gosh, so sorry. I wasn't paying attention and I don't know what just happened there. Can I help you? I'm going to call an ambulance. I'm going to stabilize you, whatever. If this was intentional, we can pray for their immortal souls, but there is a reckoning that's needed. If it was accidental, we can pray for their immortal souls, but still restitution is necessary politically, economically, socially. Fruit in keeping with repentance needs to be born. Moving on. Big Tech worked closely with the FBI and DHS to police disinformation. Brandon Trey. Hundreds of internal documents expose top U.S. government agencies working closely with social media companies like Facebook and Twitter to censor American freedom of speech under the guise of fighting disinformation over several years as obtained and reported by The Intercept. So this is an important thing. We're not going to dwell on it this episode, but this is a big deal. And this is why the claim from libertarians and leftists that these are big private corporations and we can't be objecting to how they control what you or I are free to say online. Uh, This is why that's a very disingenuous argument or it's a very naive argument because you do have the government working hand in glove with these big tech companies, pressuring them to censor their political rivals in society, in American society in particular, I'm concerned that you have the government leveraging Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, to consolidate power. That's a very concerning thing. And it's not just up to the private corporation if the FBI is calling and saying, oh, you need to censor this person. You need to deplatform this person. You need to shadow ban this person. Why? Oh, we can't tell you. And no, that's tyranny. That is tyranny. Speaking of censorship and content moderation, there's a piece from a couple of days ago by Reagan Reese and the Daily Caller News Foundation published at the Epoch Times under education and family news. What some schools are teaching kids is so obscene, parental rights activists can't even read it on TV. So that is to say several news outlets, whether televised or radio broadcasting, are telling parental rights activists they can't read 
school books that are to be found in our public schools coast to coast here in the U.S., they can't read them on air or show images from them because of FCC guidelines, Federal Communications Commission guidelines. So just to be clear, if your kid is in front of the TV, it's not okay to see these things or hear these things. But if they're at school, that's okay. What's really going on, actually, in my view, is that this is like teachers fretting through COVID when kids were doing the remote learning thing and Zoom call sessions in the public schools. This is like teachers fretting that parents were listening in to what those teachers were actually teaching the kids or telling the kids and mad as hell about it. This is of a piece with that. We don't want all these parents knowing what their kids are actually reading and hearing and looking at in the schools. And that cat's already out of the bag, but it's a disturbing thing that our FCC guidelines are stricter than the standards for the public education curriculum. That's a disturbing thing in conjunction with the testimony of Chloe Cole from Florida. Next up from Virginia Cruda at the Daily Wire. It can ruin your career. Glenn Greenwald explains why journalists are terrified to question Paul Pelosi narrative. Independent journalist Glenn Greenwald gives a very simple explanation for why the media is just uncritically accepting, embracing the official narrative. This October surprise going into the elections, October surprise going into a major, major midterm election upset for Democrats in the U.S., this insinuation that the crazy evil man who attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer may have been motivated by radical misinformation online, spreading QAnon theories and maybe only possibly can we imply that he was a Trump supporter in the making or a MAGA extremist or can we imply that you know, this guy is of a piece with Republicans so that we can say, ah, this is just what the Republicans are about. Well, Hillary Clinton has said that outright. The mainstream media, terrified of Democrats losing the House and the Senate and governorships, state and local races across the U.S. That's what they're saying. But a journalist's job should be to ask important questions. And Glenn Greenwald says the reason why journalists are not doing that If they work for big media corporations, they're afraid they're going to get fired and their career in journalism will be over, period. If they ask important questions about this, about what's really going on in a timely manner, they're afraid their career will be over. This is why I think we need more independent journalists. This is why I think it's a fantastic thing that Elon Musk just bought Twitter and it will be possible for independent journalists to be able to do their job and be heard and be seen. And more to the point for we, the American people in particular, specifically to get good reporting, sound, independent reporting. We need more of that. We need less corporate media owned by a few small, narrow, elitist interests in the U.S. and around the world. Some foreign dictator could buy up (laughs) a controlling interest 
in our major media outlets and you wouldn't know it. You would just see the TV on at the airport and read the little scrolling marquee text update on this or that, insinuating, implying such and such. And then if you question it, as he points out, as Glenn Greenwald points out, if you don't instantly accept what Wolf Blitzer and Andrea Mitchell claim, then you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. What in the world? Where did that come from? If you are skeptical of CNN or MSNBC and what they're saying, if you think they're maybe lying or spinning the truth or leaving important details out or ignoring some things intentionally, some stories for very partisan political reasons, you're the crazy person. How did we get there? Lastly, Daily Wire CEO Jeremy Boring, according to Harambe at Not The Bee, (laughs) drops fiery thread torching the mainstream media for utter dereliction of duty in the Paul Pelosi story. Long and short of it, Jeremy Boring says journalism is dead, and he points out very much along the lines of what Glenn Greenwald is saying. Decades ago, journalists would have been asking questions about the official narrative They would have been getting facts together. They would have been interviewing everyone, even tangentially connected. And I quote, demanding transparency in the release of calls and footage. They're not. They're not. They're not doing that. They're intensely uncurious. He continues in his uh, Twitter thread here that I have to read at not the B because I'm still suspended. I'm still locked out since March 26th. Now the press, and I quote, aided by big tech has embraced their new role as agents of social change. Now they both actively and through indifference run cover for the left. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. This is why we have to be aware of not only the bias, the agenda, we have to be clear on our principles. What is true? What does God's word say is true? That has to be Our only infallible source, our only infallible authority on matters of Christian life and doctrine. And when you hear something that even just might not accord with the scriptures, what you know to be good and true and right and reasonable according to God's word, you must question it. Not just you can, not just you're free to, you must. You have a duty before God to go to the scriptures and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in God's word, not conformed. You are being told to conform in countless ways by the world. And the flavor of the month in our day and age, the spirit of this age is leftism, is so-called liberalism. You're free to do whatever I tell you to do, but we are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be paranoid, but there is a conspiracy. That is the thing. Men do conspire. They do plot. They do scheme. They do act out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. We're called to not, but we're also called to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So here, where we recognize dangers to our loved ones, to our fidelity, to the Most High God, we have to roll up our sleeves and put our thinking cap on and do the hard work And yes, sometimes be hated for it. But 
if it is for righteousness sake, we're promised a blessing, we're promised a reward. If it really is because we love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind imperfectly, yes, but diligently striving to obey that command in all its particulars. If what we are doing in seeking the truth is motivated by a genuine love for our wife, our children, our extended family, our friends, our neighbors, our fellow saints in particular, there's a blessing that we can expect. And maybe all the more, the more hate is thrown our way because maybe, just maybe, that proves we're onto something. This is a bigger deal than you might think if people are going to hate you for telling the truth or wanting to know the truth about it. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Semper Reformanda. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. <laughs>